Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 BA fam. It's Mandy here again, wishing you guys a beautiful holiday season. Today, we've got a very special throwback episode of the podcast from someone who's actually gone from being one of my favorite co-hosts, a guest co-host this past summer, to truly one of my favorite friends and sisters in this solopreneur, entrepreneur, side hustle lifestyle. Her name is Janice Torres Rodriguez of Yo Quiero Dinero. If you guys have not checked out her podcast, Yo Quiero Dinero, what are you waiting for? In fact, a really good place to start may be my episode with Janice, which aired earlier this year. But honestly, Janice is a one in a million personality force of nature. And she is creating such a safe, wonderful place for Latinx people to take control of their finances, to dream of a different outcome in their life than just working the regular nine to five. And I'm thrilled to look back at this episode with Janice. She is, like I said, the creator and co-host of the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast. And she and I talked about how she got tired of her nine to five job as an engineer and literally side hustled her way into doing what she loves. Her journey to financial independence was one of the most inspiring stories we shared this year. And I cannot wait for y'all to relive this episode with me. So without further ado, here is one of my favorite episodes of 2021. Buy back your time with Janice Torres Rodriguez of Yo Quiero Dinero. Hey, hey, BA fam. Here we are at the end of our summer co-host series, and I couldn't be more grateful to all the amazing co-hosts who have joined me and have filled the hole in my heart that is shaped like Tiffany, the budgetista. And today's fourth and final co-host could not be more spectacular. I really did save one of the best for last. We are joined today by Janice Torres Rodriguez, who is killing the game for Latinas and Latinos in general through her podcast, Yo Quiero Dinero. Janice's personal finance journey began in her mid-20s. She was living what she thought was her dream, working as a mechanical engineer, following in her father's footsteps, got married, bought the house, had everything, the car, the great job, and she even had a master's degree. And that's when she felt like she was starting to have a quarter-life crisis. At that point, Janice knew it was time to get rid of the house, take her family, and move. Not just move, but switch her entire career around. She started with a food blog and has transitioned now into her brand, Yo Quiero Dinero, which is a podcast which you can find on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you enjoy listening to Brown Ambition. And she has become an expert in side hustles. She has 10 passive income streams, y'all, 10. They have helped her pay off over $39,000 of student loans, build generational wealth, and she's retired officially from traditional nine to five work. Janice said she decided to build her brand when she realized she desperately wanted to connect with other Latinos who were talking about personal finance, building wealth and financial independence. Surprise, she says, I couldn't find any. And so the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast was born. We hope you love this episode as much as we did recording it for you. As always, y'all can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us and rate and review our show. We would love to hear from you. Okay, without further ado, here is Janice Torres Rodriguez of Yo Quiero Dinero on Brown Ambition. 
Hello, Janice. Hey, girl. Hey. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe this is really happening. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us from sunny, sunny Tampa, Florida. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a bad place to be. I got to say that. (laughs) So did you – well, first of all, I'm really excited because Yo Cato Dinero podcast, I mean, it is just one of – it feels like several – well, a few really – interesting and unique new personal finance brands for Latinx women. And especially, and I'm sure that your audience is larger than that, but it was, I think it was, I don't know, when Tiffany and I were just starting out, there was like no Latina people, Latino people doing personal finance podcasts. So I'm just excited that y'all are getting better representation, that you're using your voice to reach this audience. And as we say, bienvenidos, (laughs) uh, uh, or as I try to say in my- Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I appreciate that. And and it that really is the kind of origin story of why the podcast even exists because of that very reason of just not being able to find representation. And I p- fell into personal finance listening to people like Susie Orman. And Susie Orman for me is like the OG. I love her. Mm-hmm. I've actually like <laughs> seen her live. Like I'm that person that like goes and follows her around. But at some point, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's cool, but you're also like a 70-year-old white woman with your own private island. And I can't honestly say that we have so much in common. So I kind of want to hear like, what are normal people like me doing with money? And so I couldn't find it. So I had to create the space so we could have those conversations. That's so funny. Yeah, I can't. (laughs) I mean, Susie Orman is so much bigger than her hairstyle. And yet that is the (laughs) only thing that I think about when I hear about Susie. But yeah, iconic. Definitely iconic. Well, talk to me about Janice's story. Tell me your personal finance origin story. If you could pinpoint the experience in your life when you knew, wow, I'm going to really focus in on my finances and wealth building. What would that what would that be for you? Well, it's funny because I felt like I was good with money until I realized I wasn't, (laughs) which I think happens to a lot of us. So I think the origin story for me definitely came about because I bought a house. So up until that point, I was about 30 years old. I had like this, you know, made up goal in my mind that I need to own a house by 30. I need to have like checked off all the the things. So that's like, you know, getting the good job, getting six figures in my paycheck, like getting married, doing all the things. And then buying the house was like the pinnacle of that list of accomplishments, right? So I turned 30, buy a house, and then I'm effing miserable. And I'm like, sitting with myself thinking about, okay, why, why am I so unhappy? Like this whole thing was something that I thought I was supposed to feel this immense sense of pride and joy. But all I felt was like, I had just tied myself to 30 years of working this godforsaken job that I hated. And that was really like some perspective that I hadn't had before of just like, I had just forced myself into a decision of staying in the corporate world in the nine to five when I knew all the long, like I didn't actually want to do that for the remainder of my life. And so having those two things very conflicting, right? Like this one sense of, I want to just be a responsible adult and do the right things, but also having the sense of like, I can't conform. Like it feels like it's going to kill me, made me think about like, is there something else that I should be doing with my money that doesn't involve just like keeping up with the Joneses. And so I found out about the concept of financial independence through podcasts. And that for me was the moment where everything changed. I finally saw money, not just as this thing that you acquire and you buy things with, but actually this thing that you could use to buy back your time and buy back your freedom. I love, I mean, I I really identify with that because I mean, so much of what we're taught is you're good with money if you have enough to buy things. Like yeah. that, that shows that you must be great with your money. But you're, you know, what you said is a realization that it seems like a lot of folks have had now in the pandemic even is it's not about the things. It's like, what is your money doing in the background? Is it working and, and growing for you? Okay, Absolutely. so you does that mean that you got rid of the house? What did, what did you do? <laughs> How did, once you had this epiphany, do you still have the, is the, is the partner there? Did they get the boot? <laughs> like, <laughs> How different is your life today? Well, let me just say, my husband, he is really like ride or die. I okay, we kept put him. him 
Yes, I put him through some some really stressful times with the house because I had been pressuring him like so much, you know, like we need to buy this house, like, and he never felt that pressure because he grew up as you know he's Latino too, but he never actually lived in like a home that his parents owned. They just moved from apartment to apartment, so he didn't understand like why I was so obsessed with this idea. I was a kid, on the other hand, that saw how home ownership had changed my parents' life and had literally like given them access to the American dream. So. Once I kind of forced him down the rabbit hole of home ownership, he was just like, girl, like, can you sit down and think about what you actually want? If we're going to do something different, what does that look like? And for me, it looked like a couple of things. It looked like, first of all, I was born and raised in New Jersey, never actually felt like that was the place for me. I always just had like this existential crisis going on in my head. Like, I don't belong here, but I don't know where. And then I traveled down to the southwest coast of Florida a couple of times with my husband. And immediately within like a day of arriving, I was like, this is where I can imagine my life unfolding. So we made a plan to move. And this was literally like six months after buying the house. Oh, wow. So, so, <laughs> so you can imagine can like how people, he was stressed. <laughs> right. He's like, OK, uh, here we go on the crazy train again. And, you know, of course, I tell my parents, my family, my friends, they're all just like, what are you talking about? You just bought a house. And I'm just like, I know y'all, but like, this isn't it. I need to do something else. I'm going to relocate. I'm going to transfer my job, which I was able to do because I work for a company that has locations all over the place. And my husband was actually able to do the same. So we both transferred our jobs over to Florida, rented out the house, eventually sold the house. I started pursuing financial independence, like hardcore, paying off debt, getting serious about investing, and everything changed as a result of making those decisions. So within six months, you decided this house ain't it. I'm going to move to Florida. And then so how long did it take you and your husband to get all your ducks in a row and move down there? So we bought the house in July of 2016. By the end of that year, we were formulating a plan. I spent the bulk of 2017 interviewing for job transfers and I got the official offer in the beginning of 2018. So then we made a plan. It was like a 90-day plan to move down to Florida. I came down first because my husband was still going through the process of transferring his job. And we both settled 100% moved down by September of 2018. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, in spite of the fact that you had purchased that house, you were still brave enough to... Because that's a big, I mean, it's the kind of thing where someone may may just sit with that shame or like not, I'm not saying you should feel ashamed, but you can feel like, oh man, I made this decision. I think it wasn't the right one. But some people would just continue, you know, living like that just to, just to save face as they see, you know, I need well, to prove I that I did it all right. I ended up in therapy because of all this. So I was uh, just like, okay. look, I had to confront a lot of things. And one of them was just like this idea that I had kind of been operating in autopilot and had not really thought about like, if it was all up to me, which I mean, duh, it is up to me, but what would my life look like if I just started following my own intuition instead of going down the checklist of accomplishments in life that everybody else had for me? And mm -hmm. so once I kind of felt like empowered to start making those decisions, I started getting really comfortable with pissing people off and just making decisions that were hey. completely aligned with me. Yes. <laughs> I have been really, I mean, I look back at my childhood, they say your personality is like set by age six. And I and I had a re I had a very long decade or two after I was like a young teen where I became a young tween where I became super, super um, anxious and shy, and never talked to anybody had like zero friends. But until I was six, I love pissing people off. I loved asking <laughs> for what I wanted. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened to me as a young adolescent. But I, now that I am the way I am, I'm just like, yes, I mean, I was just this was always here. She was just she was just hidden, you know, um, yeah. you got to tap and they there's like studies that show when you're a young girl, young girls are so confident until they hit their like adolescent and teenage years. And it's a shame, but it's like society sort of and all the different signals from school to our families to social media today. And it just all kind of sends you this message that you're not allowed to piss people off. You're not allowed to say no. And your voice is not to be heard. I mean, it's it's empowering when you finally realize that you can do it. And hey, you still like live on. People being angry at you doesn't ruin your life. It doesn't change everything. <laughs> it's no, not it's like so it's a true. capital offense, right? 
<laughs> Absolutely. I can so identify with that too. I think, you know, as young adolescents, like we start really caring about what other people think and it just becomes like this mode of operation where we're just always putting what we want to do through the lens of like, what are, what is everybody else going to think? And I think in Latinx culture, like that's so, that's such a thing. Like it's always, there's a saying like, que van a decir la gente, which is like, what are people going to say? And that's like, you got to keep the shame away from the family. You got to keep any reason for people talking about you away from the family. And so we're always just like programmed to think about not just ourselves, but like what else is everybody's opinion about what I'm doing? And sometimes that just makes us show up really inauthentically. And, you know, we're like freaking robots after a while. Mm, yeah. It makes me think of when we got a, not even a very nice car. We got a, a used car a few years ago and my mother-in-law was like, please come pick me up from bingo. She was just so excited to show off, you know, her son's <laughs> new car. Um, <laughs> bless her. I love her. Love you, Maya. <laughs> All right. So we, you and I talked a little bit before, and I believe you told me that you were working as an engineer at this yeah. time. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Because that is a field that, I mean, I'm all for more women in STEM and, and you know, and that must have been from all the research I've done as a personal finance reporter. Whenever you did a list of top earning majors in college, it was always like computer engineering, things like that. So you must have, you know, had a, a well-paying job in a field that's super competitive and you must be extraordinarily smart. But you said that you hated your job, right? So can you talk about what was it about your career that you weren't finding fulfilling? And then how did you and when did you sort of pivot into what you're doing now? Yeah. Yeah. So as an engineer and as a Latina, like I think that the career experience has definitely served me well in the sense that like I'm so used to being mansplained that now when it happens in like the personal finance sphere, which yes, it absolutely does. Yeah. It kind of doesn't bother me. I'm just like, <laughs> bitch, like what? You, like we are the same. So I'm not even here to like, I, I don't need your explanation, sir. Thank you. And because that came so much from like my corporate experience. I was usually the youngest woman in the room. I was usually the only woman of color. And there was a lot of like that just, you know, that girl, the, that girl gets like the projects that nobody else wants to work on and just gets talked down to, gets told that I'm aggressive when, you know, the men are quote unquote being assertive, blah, blah, blah. So I think from that perspective, like I'm grateful for the fact that it gave me a thick skin because right I don't take any shit from anybody at this point. And I think my career has a lot to do with that. But I think I followed my father's footsteps when it comes to an engineering background, because he is an engineer as well. He works on like automating production lines for manufacturing companies. And so I always like was surrounded by technology and curiosity and science. Like that was always the vibe that was in my house. I was always wanting to find out what my dad was working on. So I think you know, I saw him being financially successful and I wanted to mimic that. But then I also realized like after a while, I just don't care about this. This is not what lights me up. Yes, I was making great money. Like I was 25 years old, making like $75,000. I started making six figures before I turned 30. And, you know, the monetary aspect of it is what kept me in the field for so long because I had all these thoughts about like, well, what the hell else am I going to do that's actually going to be able to pay me this type of money? But at some point, I just realized like I can't go through life just living with the excitement of a paycheck because it's not it's not worth it to me. I, I can't wake up every day with anxiety about going to work and doing something that literally just like drains me and that I don't care about. I'm sitting with that for a moment because I want people, <laughs> you don't, you guys don't have to do it. <laughs> There's another way. There's another way. You mentioned therapy earlier. Now, I talked to my husband about therapy because I've been in therapy ever since I got pregnant a couple of years ago. I just knew it's, well, first of all, I know it's really hard to find a therapist that you jive with. And I was I was looking for therapists before, you know, BetterHelp and Talkspace and all these new apps and stuff. But I, whenever I kind of bring it up, I can feel the air in the room change around my husband and his family. They're Dominican American and, you know, first generation in this country. And there's just, there's a bit of a stigma about it. It's very much like, not from him, but like from some of his extended family, you know, why won't you just talk to God about that? And by mm-hmm. the way, 
I come from a very uh, Southern black family in Atlanta and it's the same damn thing. It's like, <laughs> oh no, we talk to Jesus when we have problems. We don't, yep. what? So what was that like for you? Was it easy for you to turn to therapy in your journey or did you have, did you have any like internalized stigmas against it as well? I definitely had internalized stigmas. My husband went to therapy before I did. And so I actually followed his example because mental health was something that was very common in his family like to talk about. And I was the complete opposite. So he actually gave me like the courage to even pursue this. And, you know, at some point I wanted to talk about it to my family too. And when I first told them, of course, they're just like, girl, like, what do you have to complain about? Like, you have a perfect life. Get over it. Your anxiety is made up, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, you know, you kind of have to just brush that stuff aside and realize, like, your feelings are your feelings. You don't need somebody else to validate them. And if you need help, like, that's what it's there for. So whoever approves or doesn't, they got to get over that shit because it has nothing to do with you. I love that your husband. I've, I've never heard an anecdote from someone saying my my male partner, my husband, encouraged me to get into therapy. I want to hear more stories like that. I think yeah. that's amazing. Okay. Well, we don't have that much time, but I want to. So we haven't even gotten to Yoke de Dinero. But before <laughs> you've lived like 12 lives in the past decade, it feels like. But you you didn't start with Yoke de Dinero. While you were working, you launched your food blog, right? Delish Delights, mm-hmm. which is to this day one of your 10 income sources, which we're going to talk to uh, Janice about how she has 10 streams of income, which is like major goals. But talk to me about Delish Delights, how it is making money for you today. And then when did you pivot from food blogging to f- money blogging and money advice? Yeah. So the food blog is definitely like a creative outlet that I started because of this frustration that I had around my career. I had a typical quarter life crisis where I'm like, I wake up like I'm like 27 years old. What the hell is my life? Like, why is this the thing that we all have to do? Like, why do we just have to go to work every day and work till we're 65 and then like go and enjoy life? So I was convinced that like, maybe I should just quit my job and go to culinary school. I'm going to be like, you know, Gordon Ramsay or something. But then I realized, okay, wait, so I'm going to take like a massive pay cut because we all know the restaurant industry doesn't pay. I'm going to get into more student loan debt when I'm still paying off like my master's degree. Hold on. Maybe this is not the route to go. So then I discovered the world of online blogging. So I started finding websites like skinnytaste.com and The Pioneer Woman. And I realized, oh, this love of cooking that I have can actually be something that I can do from home. And I can create like this website and maybe I can actually monetize this. And so I dove in like head first. I created my blog. I started sharing recipes every day. I was like, you know, my husband would come home. I'd be like on top of the kitchen table, like taking pictures, every (laughs) dish in the, you know, kitchen sink, all the pots would be used. And then I got laid off like six months after I started the blog and had this free time to myself to really just pretend like, what would it be like if I was a self-employed person making a living off of a food blog? So I took the opportunity to take some courses in food blogging, which was just becoming like a thing that people were actually teaching you how to do that you could actually make money on. And I started implementing what I was learning into my journey as a blogger. And so here we are like eight years later, you know, I started monetizing the blog maybe two years after I started it because those two years were basically a huge learning curve where I was starting to understand like how you actually monetize a brand that you create online. And eight years later, the blog is earning anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand dollars a month in passive income from ads, from traffic that is coming to my website. I reach about four million visitors a year now with my website. Whoa! And I could attest to that. I mean, your recipes is probably the ones, one of the ones that I find because I'm always googling. You know, and it's like, who has cookbooks anymore? You just Google. Right. Like, I I Google random ingredients in my pantry to see if anyone has a recipe that includes (laughs) them that I can make for dinner. That's my favorite thing. And SEO, search engine optimization, which is just a way of, you know, making sure that the content on your website shows up first when people like me are trying to Google their way to solutions. That is so important. And I know you said over eight years, you know, you've gotten to 10 to 15K a month and 4 million viewers, which is phenomenal. How long did it take before you started to feel like you were 
you know, really making an impact and, and starting to see returns on, you know, the investment you made in the in the website? Yeah. So I started seeing monetary compensation from the blog in 2016. I made $2,300 that year. And for me, that was like, oh my God, like this is $2,300 that I didn't have to like slave away at my job for. So after that, it just kind of started snowballing. Like I feel like as you continue to refine your skills, the money just starts to roll in. And I saw that happening in 2017. I made my first five-figure year. So I made $10,000. 2018, I made around $26,000. And then 2019 was $46,000. And I was just like, hold on a second. If this keeps going, at some point, I'm going to get to the point where I can actually use this blog to quit my job. And last year made about $76,000. And here we are halfway into 2021. And I've made $67,000. So if we keep on this train, this is going to be my first six figure year as a blogger, like separate from the podcast and all of the things that I do as part of those 10 income streams that you mentioned. Wow. And you still so you've you probably applied those same, you know, your learnings from Delish Delights to Yoqueda Dinero. But how much how do you split your time now between those two different brands? Yeah, so my food blog is absolutely 100% passive at this point. I haven't actively blogged on it since, I don't know, the beginning of 2019 at this point. So yeah, it's been pretty much like two years since I've put stuff on the website. But the beauty of search engine optimization and evergreen content, which is just content that never goes out of style, is that people will always be looking for food. And for me, as a Puerto Rican food blogger, there's not a lot of us. So when people want to make traditional food from the culture, they are going to find my website. And that's just kind of how it works. Once you create content that people will search for, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, that's when you start getting that level of consistency. So I don't have to do anything with the blog at this point. I can dedicate all of my time to my personal finance brand, which is what I've been doing since the beginning of 2020. And, you know, the blog pays the bills and and that's how I cut myself a check. And then I can work on all the creative stuff that has to do with Yo Quiero Dinero without the pressure of like having to make that profitable right away. That's amazing. And hey, you can still make money from blogging in 2021, apparently, which yep. <laughs> may be breaking news for some people who think, oh, no, now I got to have a podcast or a TikTok or whatever. Okay. <laughs> Yo quiero dinero. And also, you recently quit your job, right, to go full time with both, well, Yo quiero dinero first and, and foremost. Talk to me about that. When did you realize I am doing well enough from this brand, I can quit my job? Yeah, I think 2020 was like such a transformative year for so many of us. And for me, there's no exception. 2020 was the first year that with side hustles, I earned over $100,000. And that to me was just like, never had I imagined that I could actually like match the amount of money that I was making in a corporate job with all of these income streams that I had created. So at the end of last year, I was like, this is going to be the year. Like 2021 has to be the year because if you, you know, the data suggests that you will make more money in 2021 as long as you keep on this train. And that's exactly what happened. Like the first three months of 2021, I had made over $50,000. And I was just like, I didn't even make $50,000 in three months at my corporate job. So like, what the hell am I still doing here? And then <laughs> that set me down, you know, the rabbit hole of like, are you sure? Like, is this actually going to work? Can you actually replicate this and and really make this like the way that you earn a living? So of course, you know, the scarcity mindset and the imposter syndrome starts showing up and it's just like, girl, relax. But I had so many people around me that were just like, sis, it's time. Like it's been time. And then I just got to the point where, you know, I was actually making more money than I was at my corporate job. So at that point, it was just kind of like, look, the argument is not to be had because you know what you need to do. And things like benefits, like you can take care of yourself as a business owner with that. You can set up your own retirement plan. You can get health insurance through your husband. Create the exit plan. Stop making excuses and do the damn thing. And so in May, May 27th, to be exact, was my last day as a corporate employee and hopefully my last day ever as a corporate employee. 
27 is my favorite number. So I feel ah. much, I feel so much serendipity right now with <laughs> that being your, well, can we just do a quick shout out to all the husbands helping by contributing their health insurance benefit and their nine to five benefits to yes. their partners who are out there living this <laughs> solopreneur life. We could not do it without you or if we, you know, we could, but we'd be paying <laughs> thousands of dollars in Obamacare every yes. month. Right. So shouts out to him. What's his name? David. David, okay. Is he also shy about being a part of any of your stuff on online? Yes, and it's also because he's a DJ, so he has like his own internet persona. Ooh. So we don't want him to commingle these things because it could just get wild. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I see a lot of synergy here. Actually, <laughs> I see a big future. You need he needs like a De Niro theme set list. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the money is raining down. Okay, anyway, all right. Well. <laughs> I want to take a quick break and we're going to come back because instead of doing the Q&A segment today, I just made an executive decision because I am my own boss that I am going to Q&A Janice about how she has 10, 10 different income streams. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Okay, Janice, you have to tell me about 10 income streams. Where does one begin? And <laughs> <laughs> like, where does one end? Because if you can have 10, why not 20? Why not 30? How do you keep, well, okay, I have lots of questions, but start, let's, let's go down the list, you know, from most lucrative to least, what are your income streams? Okay. So I had to write these down because I'm like, let me make sure I don't forget them. So I have affiliate marketing. I do influencer marketing. I do virtual workshops, speaking engagements for corporations and nonprofits, freelance writing, podcast ads, blog ads, digital course, and my digital downloads. And I also invest in stocks. So passive income through stock market investing. Yes. Let's not forget that stocks make money, which is also a form of or income, right? Even especially yep. if they're paying dividends. Okay. Blog ads. So we went over that. So is your Delish Delight still the bigger site in terms of blog ad revenue? Yes, absolutely. It is the bread and butter of this whole organization. Okay. Is it more difficult when it comes to like personal finance sites to rank and to start building that blog revenue? Or is it just because it's the younger brand? It's a combination of the two. Obviously, websites like NerdWallet, Investopedia, like they're all going to get that Google, you know, boost, if you will. But there is more and more of an appetite for personal finance content that is just not the generic, you know, stuff that you can get anywhere. So I find that the stuff that really resonates with people on Yo Quiero Dinero and the blog is the stories, right? The stories that we share around like why you should have an emergency fund for your family. Like these are things that not a lot of personal finance brands talk about, but there's a lot of nuance to what it is to be a person of color in personal finance. So those types of um, topics really do tend to resonate with people more. And a lot, some of these income streams you mentioned, so affiliate marketing, influencer marketing, um, those, and I'm assuming you know, downloads to your podcast, those can be income streams as well. But they very much depend on like the size of your audience. So it's kind of like a chicken and the egg thing. You know, do you build your audience, you know, on social media and through your podcast first, and then pursue those relationships? Or do you pursue them first? How did how did that all work? How did you put those together? Yeah, so for me, I never actually create a business with the plan of monetizing. It kind of just happens. So when I started Yo Quiero Dinero, it was literally just like I needed a creative outlet and I wanted to meet people and, and tell stories that resonated with folks who wanted to learn about money. As the podcast grew, and this is all organic, right? Like I don't have a PR person. I don't have like a machine behind me. As the brand grew, I started getting offers to do things like, you know, brand partnerships. I started getting reached out to by affiliates. And then I started being asked to do speaking engagements and, and freelance writing. Like all of these things have just kind of shown up as I have just been consistent and clear on my messaging. So for anybody who wants to build a new brand, like know that it's going to take time. 
I think the messaging that you have around your brand is like so important. Like, what are you about? Who do you serve? And like, what is your story? What makes you unique? Once I started living into those principles, things started to grow and the opportunities started to come. It seems like you've really leaned into your niche, like the fact that you come from a certain community and, you know, like your food blog, for example, you said it's Puerto Rican recipes. Um, and you really, I, I think back to those early days with Brown Ambition and when we came up with a name and someone sort of said, you know, are you worried about alienating some of your audience, potential audience by having Brown in the title? And the answer was, nah, it's not, <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. Right. Um, and it feels like, you know, as a business person, I think typically it's like, oh, you should try to reach everyone so that you can maximize your profits. But it's true. Once you lean into your specific identity, it's it's almost like that is em empowering in, in and of itself. How, what's been your experience with that? Yeah, I totally agree with you. When I first was thinking about the podcast, I definitely had this like identity crisis for a little while where I'm just like, how am I going to show up in this space? And I think some of that comes from the fact that like as women of color, we often have to code switch, right? And just like be quote unquote palatable and presentable in how we talk about stuff. And that just felt very inauthentic to me when I started the podcast. I'm like, I don't want to come on here and like talk like some like old white dude about money. Cause like, that's not me. That's not who I would want to listen to this podcast. So how would a Jersey girl, Puerto Rican Jersey girl who like loves the F word, like how would I talk about money? And then when I started doing that, that's when people started to be like, oh, so we are actually allowed to have these conversations and we can have them in a way that's funny and relatable and, uh, you know, identifiable with our own experience. That is what people want. Like we have enough of like the Dave Ramsey's of the world. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to hear about women of color smashing their goals with money, like starting businesses, building wealth, doing all the cool shit. And I don't want it to be like packaged in some nice little like Abercrombie and Fitch package. That's not what I want. So that's not what I wanted to create. Mm, okay. I love that. And that probably <laughs> explains why people were reaching out to you because, and I, I think brands today, we never got so much interest in me personally. I just launched my own solopreneur career um, in late April. Congrats, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> but I... Part of me was like, dang, why didn't I do this earlier? Because the opportunities were always there. But it was like when I put my flag in the ground and said, I'm here, people started to reach out. And it's like mm -hmm. a lot of brands are craving and scrambling desperately to prove that they're the woke and inclusive brands and they want to diversify in, in their voices that they have. So they're looking for us. They need more Janice's, more Mandy's, and there's not enough of us. So even if you're listening and you think, oh, Janice's got that, Mandy's got that, there's more space, people. There's yeah. more space out here and there's more interest and appetite for it. So that's all really exciting. There's really not as many of us doing this as you would think, okay? And I think a lot of people would think that because, you know, especially if you're in the personal finance space and you're following all these people, you might think like, wow, I know like 20 Latinas that are talking about money. Okay, but when you compare that to like the hundreds of white authors that there are for personal finance books and like who's on TV, who's on CNBC, who has their own shows about money. It's not us. So mm -hmm. the work has yet to be done. We're just starting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Income stream. So we talked about blog ads, uh, affiliate and influencer marketing, speaking, freelance writing, your downloads, digital courses. Okay, Janice, I have a confession to make. <laughs> I really don't feel like making a course, but I feel like I'm going to have to. What is it about? <laughs> like, people are really buying these courses. So talk about your your journey to building your course. You have probably multiple courses. What all goes into it? And what's the benefit for someone looking to like take advantage of them? Yeah. Okay. So I'm so glad you asked because digital courses for me are like what blogging was maybe like 10 years ago, which was like everybody was starting a blog, right? Mm -hmm. And like, that's how you're going to get rich. Now it's the same thing, but with digital courses. Why? Because people want to learn. People want like skills that they're not learning in school, like how to manage your money. They want to learn how to invest. They want to learn how to start businesses, like all the shit that like we should know how to do, but nobody's teaching us. They want to learn and they want to learn from people that they can relate to. So the digital education space, I think, is like such an untapped like frontier for making money as a content creator. And I think there's a lot of like, what's the word? 
There's a lot of hesitation and a lot of angst that people get when they think about like, who the hell am I to be teaching people anything, right? Uh, and I think that ties back to this imposter syndrome that we all love to hang out with. Just this idea that like, there's no way people would pay to learn anything from me. It's a lie, y'all. Like, let's scrap that. When you actually decide that you want to start a course, it can feel super overwhelming, right? Like, what platform are you going to use? How are you going to teach? What is your what is your end goal? Like, what do you want people to come away with when interacting with you? I think if you're thinking about starting a course and that whole thing, like just feels super overwhelming, start with like one-on-one coaching. And why do I say this? I started as a one-on-one side hustle coach. So I wanted to literally like take people from the point where they didn't even know what the hell they wanted their side hustle to be to actually launching it and like showing them how to use social media, how to market yourself, like how to build your brand, how to monetize all these things. And I did that for a couple of months so that I could start getting, what are those common questions that people have coming up? Like, what are the common issues? What are the things that people want to know? And then when I had the amount of information that I felt like I could build a framework around this, that's when I actually created my side hustle course. And so now I have an eight-week program that teaches people not only like how to build a side hustle, but even if you don't even have the idea for the side hustle, like we're going to get you from A to Z. Um... You know, and another option too is like for my speaking engagements, I will do like one-off workshops about, you know, how to open an IRA or things like that. And then I'll turn those workshops, I'll download the recordings and I'll turn them into like a self-driven little video mini course that you can buy and download and watch on your own time. So there's a lot of different options, y'all. I think it's just, the important thing is just to start learning like what your audience wants from you and then how you can teach them that. And what is the first question you mentioned about courses is the platform. So if someone's wanting to launch their own course today, what are some of the, what did you learn? What kind of free advice can you give us on the do's and don'ts of of building a course and choosing a platform? Yeah. So every platform is going to be different. And I think it's a matter of you first off deciding your budget because every platform has a different cost and some of them are well more well-known than others. Some of them have functionalities that the others don't. So do research into websites like Kajabi and Teachable and Podia and whatever else there are because there's a million of them out there. I started with the cheapest option with Podia because it was like 39 bucks a month. I'm like, okay, I can get behind this monthly subscription price. If you start with a website like Kajabi, you're going to end up paying like $150 for like their starter package. So it really just depends like where your budget is and what type of functionality you want built into these courses. But, you know, you can start hosting workshops on Zoom and literally download the uh, you know, the recordings from Zoom, put it on YouTube, do a password protection, and literally just have people like send you money and then you can give them access to a course. Like you can bootstrap this until you're actually ready to invest in like an, a full-on platform. Done is better than perfect. Yes. Right? Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Okay. You've <laughs> really inspired. I hope that you've inspired. And I mean, it's not like it's, you know, 10 income streams. I mean, that... It's it's about that limitless poten- potential when you become a solopreneur, at least even if you're a nine to five, you know, I was just talking about this earlier, nine to five entrepreneur, you know, working on your side hustle after work. And that's very much what both you and I were doing, you know, mm-hmm. up until recently, um, there is potential to go beyond just whatever you're bringing in. And uh, I just wish people talked about that more when it comes to wealth building is you've got to find more money to make more money a lot of times. And um you know, just relying on that one single paycheck isn't always it. No, it's never it. As far as I'm concerned, 2020 showed us that like relying on your income through work is not necessarily the smartest thing. uh, Because even if you're not planning for another pandemic, you might face a layoff in the future, you might face a furlough, you might get divorced, you might be a stay at home mom, and all of a sudden you have to start working. So like, what can you do now to put yourself in a position that when not if the next shit show comes around, you're like ready to go. And I knew like throughout the pandemic, I was going to be okay. Like if I ever lost my job, I was going to be perfectly fine. And I want that feeling for everybody. If there's one thing that's true and you can bet on is there will always be another shit show. Mm -hmm. There's there's always more shit where that shit came from. Okay. It's not if, it's not if, but when. Yep.
All right. Well, okay. So this is the final segment of the show. I can't believe it's already over. All right. Um, but don't worry. I'm going to force you to like virtually hang out with me again in the future. <clears throat> That's what I do. Um, yes. Let's do let's do Brown Boost and Brown Break. So you can choose Brown Boost is something that you want to, you know, highlight that you're excited about, whether it's a career or financial win, or it's a business that you're excited to promote or, you know, amplify. Um, and then, or you can choose to break if you're feeling more and, you know, like a, a, a venti ranty mood where you kind of talk about something that you are not loving so much, either financially or in your career. Maybe it's just, you know, your neighbor who keeps <laughs> pounding on your floor. I don't know if you live in an apartment or whatever. Um, what what do you want to do today, Janice? Um, I feel like I can do both, but let me go with, uh, I'll do the boost. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we we make it seem like it's a choice, but a lot of times we end up doing both. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> okay. So I am super excited because for the longest time I had like reservations around teaching people how to start blogs, right? Like I feel like that's still, even though it's something that I've done for the past eight years is always just like, do I really want to teach people this? Because it's so complicated, y'all. Like, you know, there's so much science behind it, but I actually decided this year that I'm doing a blogging boot camp. So it's a six week program where people are going to literally like build their blog with me. I've always found that like a lot of the self-driven courses that teach people how to do this stuff can leave folks feeling very defeated, especially when you start getting into the more technical aspects of it. So I'm like, if I could learn about this all over again, would I want to do it in person with an expert? And so I said, yes. So I just put that out there yesterday and I've already been getting people signing up so I'm so Ooh. excited and hopefully I can turn it into like a more you know evergreen type of course in the future but I'm just really excited to teach people the way that I've been able to secure financial freedom through blogging like it's still a thing and and I want more women of color just earning passive income so that we can rest because we're tired yes. y'all we're tired it's exhausting out here <laughs> now that you've teased it though I gotta know what your break would have been my break is like this damn housing market. This is oh. nuts. Like I'm so over, especially like in Florida. I feel like so many people moved out here during the pandemic because they were like escaping the restrictive, you know, lockdown stuff of the Northeast. Whereas here it was like a free for all, which not necessarily a good thing. But now there's like so many investment companies and just like real estate investors coming up and buying property that they're making it unaffordable for like normal people to live here. And mm -hmm. I hate that. Like, I feel like that's happening in so many communities, especially communities of color. Like it's just the gentrification is on another level and I'm over it. It's annoying. Yeah. Same. And what can we do? It's so hard. It's like, I also live in a, this is like a majority minority neighborhood in a, you know, in a, in a about 30 minutes outside of New York where we live. And all of the fixer uppers have been bought up and we are kind of like nervously waiting to see who moves in. I'm hoping, mm -hmm. you know, listen, it's not about not wanting certain people to move in, but it's just more about can we preserve this is such a great, unique community. And it was such a beacon of hope for so many families in the, you know, the mid 20th century who bought homes because they could afford them here. Mm -hmm. And like same for my husband and I. Three years ago, this was a very affordable neighborhood. Now I don't think we could even have, have afforded a house here. Yeah. Um, and it's good if you're an owner, but you know, not so good if you're someone wanting to break in. Right. Yep. <sighs> I feel you on that. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna and by the way, did you guys buy in Florida yet? Is that why? No, we're trying to because now, you know, okay. I'm on a whole other level now, you know, being debt free and having more income as a business owner than I did as a nine to five uh, worker in debt. Like it just changes your priorities. So now we feel like, yeah, this is something we can do and that we'd want to do. But like the hell am I going to be doing paying like half a million dollars for a freaking house that needs to be redone? Like for that, I'm just going to end up somewhere in the Caribbean and Forget this place. This United States are a little ghetto for me right now. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. Did y'all hear that? Okay. Oh, my God. This is what I get for clicking on your website when <laughs> like an ad popped up. Oh, God. Oh, that scared me. My heart. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let me get into my, let me get into my, my boost. So I have a, I have a very exciting boost. So there's this little uh, annual event called Essence Fest. I don't know if y'all yes. have heard of it, but I, I wasn't sure this was actually going to pan out, but I actually got to be one of many, 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 many phenomenal people. Not just me, obviously. I got to be a part of Essence Fest 2021, which. Oh, my God. 
Uh, I, first of all, I don't even think people knew Essence Fest was happening this year. It's a much like more toned down, smaller affair, but a lot of it is virtual. They're still having some in-person stuff in New Orleans for the locals down there. Um, and, you know, it's hometown of New Orleans. But I did get to be on a panel and it was it was really wonderful. It was me and then a um, a second and third generation McDonald's franchise owner. Like this mother and daughter duo, I can't even tell you. They were so inspiring their story of how they each built their own business. And then there was, um, oh, no big deal, but Mary J. Blige's agent and Hello. publicist was, <laughs> was there. And I was just like, can I just, you know, just breathing the same virtual air as you who have breathed the air of Mary J. Blige. I just feel empowered and phenomenal. So that actually, we recorded it on Friday, just a few days ago, and it's going to be airing July 3rd. So check it out. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. And I think Tiffany's doing something with us. She always is doing something with Essence Fest. I don't know what. She's on hiatus. We'll see when she gets back. But check it out. Essence Fest is online this year. And it's all yes. it's all signs from the universe that uh, you know, things are working out now that I'm on my own. Okay. Can can we can we just silent clap to that? Because that is a fact. Okay. When you keep showing up for yourself and your goals and your dreams. Like the universe rewards it, y'all. Just just keep showing up. And supporting one another. Yes. I, I can't fail to mention the reason I got, well, one of the reasons I got into Essence Fest quickly, quickly, I did in college 16, 17 years ago, I participated in an alternative spring break and we volunteered in the wake of Hurricane Katrina to read Bill Holmes um, on the Gulf Coast. And this young woman, Chauncey, who I think she was a team leader, but she and I met during that week, 16 years ago, became Facebook friends. We haven't said a peep to one another in those 16 years until she happened to be working for the agency that helps book guests for Essence Fest. And she's been following and seeing what I've been doing with my career. And, and she reached out and listen, God bless Chauncey, but it's also just a message that you never know the people that, you know, it's about networking sideways, not always trying to go up and find people to talk to. It's like, just be a good person and leave people feeling good about their time they spent with you. And 10, 15, 20 years, who knows what kinds of opportunities could come of those small moments. So definitely huge, huge props to Chauncey for thinking of me and yeah, to everything you just said, Janice. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ah, thank you. <laughs> thank you so, so much for joining us, Janice. Where can people find you? So you can find me all over these internets, y'all. Like I am everywhere from TikTok to Pinterest and YouTube and everywhere in between. The easiest place to find me is YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com. And you can subscribe to Yo Quiero Dinero wherever you listen to podcasts. Love it. Thank you so much. All right. Well, take care. And thanks again for coming on Brown Ambition. This is a dream. Thank you, Mandy. Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.